Good to see you in the house, Lord, this evening. Turn to the book of Isaiah. The Bible in miniature. Do you realize there's 66 books in the Bible and there's 60, 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah, probably for an Old Testament book, has more about the Messiah than any other book. Okay, so Isaiah, chapter 1. And I'm going to read through verse 7. Says the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed up clothes, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Tonight, so we're going to look at this character, the Old Testament character of Isaiah, and the conquest of despondency. Despondency is a loss of courage or a loss of hope, and uh, how do you overcome that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word tonight. Thank you for these Old Testament characters and these Bible characters that we can learn and glean from and be encouraged and challenged and strengthened. Um, I pray that you would help us as we look at this character tonight, uh, some similarities here to our day and time. But yet help us, like Isaiah, to see a fresh vision of the Lord. Help them to keep our eyes focused upon him that we might not lose hope, and that we might rejoice in your goodness and your blessings to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As it says here in the first verse, Isaiah lived through four kings, really five, although the fifth one killed him. History tells us that, um, of course, you know, Jotham is Uzziah's son, Ahaz is Jotham's son, Hezekiah is Ahaz's son. And Uzziah was a pretty good king, one of the better kings Judah had. And Jotham was much the same, his son. The the thing that uh, did Uzziah in in was he tried to enter into the the temple. uh, And he was struck with leprosy. And then because of that, his son uh, took over the kingdom and reigned. But he reigned for 52 years. Ahaz, on the other hand, was wicked. And then you have Hezekiah, who, who was one of the better kings that Judah ever had. 
Uh, probably the best one would be Josiah, other than David himself and Solomon. But uh, and you know, jo- the interesting is Josiah is the grandson of Hezekiah. So you have Ahaz who's wicked, and you have his son Hezekiah who's a good king, and he cleanses the temple and he begins to establish uh, the, the the worship of the temple and the, and the sacrifices and the Passover, which hadn't been held in a long time, and invited people to come even out of the land of Israel, and some came. Uh, but in the midst of all that, and then, then of course you had Hes- Manasseh, who was the most vile and wicked king Judah ever had. He brought prostitution into the temple. And it's believed, history tells us, it's believed that he put Isaiah in a log and cut it in half. So anyway, um, so he prophesied mostly during these, these kings that he mentions here, these four, which three of them we would consider pretty good kings. And yet, think about how he describes the nation itself. Uh, we read just, ch- just chapter 2 and verse 7. You know, he describes it as a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, verse 4. Uh, chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they have replenished from the east. That word replenished means they have filled or satisfied themselves with things in the worship of the east. You know, the Babylonians were to the east and the the Chaldeans, and they were famous for the magicians and their soothsayers and all this magical and and witchcraft stuff. And he said that that you are replenished with stuff from the east. In other words, that's where the children of Judah had turned to. And, And notice it says, and our soothsayers like the Philistines. Of course, the Philistines were on the west along the coast. And they please themselves in the children of strangers. Uh, their land also is full of silver and gold. So they're very wealthy. The, the, you know, they're still very wealthy. Neither is there any end of their treasures. The land is also full of horses. Of course, Solomon brought all those in. And that continued. There is, neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That which their own fingers have made. And the mean man boweth down and the great man humble himself. Therefore, forgive them not. And chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. You think about some of this stuff, and it sounds much like our day, a lot of similarities. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem, from Judah, the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, and the counselor and the cunning officer and the eloquent orator. So where is the honorable man in our government. Now think about that. And the prudent. Uh, and I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Look at the average family that maybe venture into Walmart, and who runs the roost? Children do. And parents cater to them. That's our society. And the people shall be oppressed, every man by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. I just read yesterday where there was three teenagers. And a group, well, actually, it wasn't three. There was three then that parents turned in. There was a group of teenagers, a, 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 a um, fireman, I think it was a fireman, was out walking his dog. I think it was in New York city in a park and these teenagers 
a, a big group of them, began to harass him and beat him up. Just, uh, I think they called it uh, fight night or something. You know, so just, just pick somebody and, and for fun beat him up. And I, I, I saw a clip, I didn't really read, I didn't read it today, where parents of three of them turned three of them in. <laughs> like, good for those parents. Uh, but, you know, here they are, uh, verse 5, people should be oppressed. The child should behave himself proudly against the ancient, verse 5, the base against the honorable. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou a ruler, and let, us, let this ruin be under thy hand. And that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer. For in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. For in Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of his glory. They sh- the show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, and they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Um, and, and then verse 12, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. <clears throat> and so this was the conditions, you know, despite having these uh, fairly good kings that tried to bring about some revival, the interesting thing is, if you think about it, when Hezekiah dies, how quickly, how quickly, false worship, and they, how quickly they forsake again the Passover, the temple worship, you know, just like that, just like, okay, he's gone, so we just forsake the whole thing and go back to our idols. So really, in their hearts, they really went with Hezekiah. They went with him. And the same thing about Josiah. When Josiah died, was killed in battle, you know, it was immediately God's judgment came. Because back, I think it was the next king, God said he was going to bury him with the burial of an ass. He was that bad. So, so this was kind of the conditions. You know, there was still worship, a form of worship in Jerusalem. The temple was still there. Uh, and so they had all these formalities. Uh, if you notice in chapter 1, verse 11, he talks about them. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts, bring no more vain oblations. In other words, it wasn't that they weren't to bring sacrifices, but they were bringing vain sacrifices because their heart was not in it. It was just a ritual they went through. It was just an appearance of religion. Verse 13 again, Bring no more vain oblation, incense and abomination to me, the new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with. It is, it is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Now, and, the, and think about the Sabbath. Okay, so one of the Sabbaths, one of the things they were supposed to do on, on a certain Sabbath, every seven years, was to set free all their servants. But they hadn't, and one of the reasons they went that, uh, that God spells out that they got uh, um, uh, taken captive into Babylon was they forsook his Sabbaths. And so it was 70 years. And I'm trying to find day. It was so many Sabbaths equals 70 years. And that's going to be a length of your captivity. 
You know, Jeremiah had said, told them to set their servants free, and they did. And they turned right around and, and took them all back and brought them into bondage again. So they're violating the Sabbath. You know, Israel and Judah hadn't kept the Sabbath in a long time. And part of that was letting your land lay idle also. It, 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 and what, you know, what that proved was it demonstrated their faith in God. You know, think about it. If you were a farmer, to let some of your land lay idle every so many years, what's that mean? A loss of income, right? But, but you know, there were, there were things that that did to kill um, insects that just devoured the land. But it was a matter of faith. Are you going you know, to believe me, God was saying, or are you going to till every corner, nook and cranny to make the most you can? Or are you going to trust me? You know, so, so there, was a, there was a purpose in that, but you know, they had forsaken that. Verse uh, 14, your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear you. Not hear. Notice, your hands are full of blood. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead with the little. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, this, this, a lot of this stuff was kind of stuff was going on in Jesus' day, too. The Pharisees made long prayers, and yet they, and Jesus said he's, they devour widows' houses. So they would, in pretense of helping a widow take on her, her debt, but in taking on her debt, they also got her, belong, her house. And that was their whole motive. They, they enriched themselves in doing that. They weren't taking care of the widows. They were taking care of themselves. You know, they, would, they would say, you know, instead of taking care of their parents, their early parents who maybe had need, they'd say, oh, it is Corbin. Meaning, no, my business is dedicated to the Lord. I can't take that which is dedicated to the Lord and take care of my elderly parents. Hypocrisy. That's what that was. And that's what was going on here. So they were, you know, they were, they were observing all these things. They were still bringing sacrifice. But sacrifice without sanctity is mockery. Religion without righteousness is hypocrisy. Your altar prayers without closet prayers are vain repetitions. God requires more than just activity. He requires a heart that's clean. Verse 16, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And so all, this was the condition in which Isaiah finds himself. And he had high hopes in King Uzziah. He had high hopes. 
And you know, really, if you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, it's a, it's a pronouncement of judgment on the wickedness of the nation. Chapter after chapter after chapter. And then it brings you to chapter 6. You know, he has high hopes, you know, Uzziah. But chapter 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. You know, Uzziah was a highly successful king. He reigned for 52 years. Uh, he, he strengthened, greatly strengthened Judah. Uh, he built towers and walls. He was a great military man. But his tragedy, of course, as I mentioned, his, he ended, his life ended kind of tragically when he tried to in, intrude into the priest's office and God struck him with leprosy. And he remained in a leper's house until the day of his death. So, you know, this is, this is kind of what, what Isaiah had his hopes on. But he's dead. But he went into the temple. You know, and these, these things, these kind of things can cause us to lose hope or become despondent. But we see a change in chapter 6 in Isaiah and it results in him going into the temple where he saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and twain he did fly. And one cried another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So he went into the temple, and instead of seeing a vacant throne of his king, there's an occupied throne of his God. You know, instead of seeing an erring man on a throne, now as he sees an unerring God, a, the perfect God, in whom we can have the utmost confidence. You see, he, was, he just kind of had his hopes in Uzziah changing some things. You know, many times we put our hopes in men, political figures. You know, I know there's a lot of hope in President Trump. But he's out of office. Well, we've been reminded that God sets up kings and he brings them down. Uzziah was brought down because of his error. You know, we will not have an experience like Isaiah with seraphims, you know, surrounding the throne of God and, and you know, the smoke filling the, filling the house of God and all that. You know, if the smoke's filling this place, you need to get out. And quickly. You know, there's lots of wood in here. It's going to go up quick, you know. Not that I'm hoping it does, but, you know, you need to get out. Uh, so we don't have a, but we can and need to have an experience with God that reveal His holiness and our sinfulness and unworthiness. 
or we will never be what we ought to be. You see, this was a life-transforming experience for Isaiah. It changed his life. It's what prepared him for the rest of his ministry, for the rest of his life. You know, Isaiah was where he ought to be. He was in the house of God. He was in the temple of God. And, of course, it's in the temple of God or the house of God where we see God. Uh, Psalm 11, verse 4 said, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes, his eyelids, behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Habakkuk 2.20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You remember in Psalm 73, Asa was discouraged because he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he said, It was not until I went into the sanctuary, then understood I their end. And he says, So foolish was I. You know, it's, it's easy sometimes to become envious at the wicked. You know, sometimes I look across the yard and, and you know, there was a little bit of envy. But, and I, but I think about all that went along with that and I thought, no, thank you. <laughs> and of course, you come to the New Testament and it's the church of the living God take place of the temple. And the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's where we understand the truth of God's word, where we learn of his holiness. And through his word, we have a more sure word of prophecy, Peter tells us, that we need to take heed to unto his light that shineth in a dark place. And so, it is in the house of God. But saying it often takes sorrow or tragedy to bring us to this place. And say it... Many go to what's called a church and yet do not find the truths of the Word of God. So, this is how Isaiah puts off this despondency, this loss of hope, and becomes a bold and optimistic prophet who gives great prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ and then also the future of Israel. You see, despondency cannot live in the face of God. Because God's not despondent. God's not cast down. God never loses hope. Because He is the hope. And God's Word will give us hope and courage to face real life changes. Well, how did it change, Isaiah? Well, it brought him face to face with the holiness of God. Notice verses 3 and 4 of chapter 6. And one cried on another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were moved, moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So, so he, he sees God face to face, and, he, and, and the, the seraphims cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So he's brought face to face with the holiness of God. And the response is, it made him conscience. Not only that God was holy, but conscience of his own sinful condition. You know, the first five chapters, he pronounces judgment like he's the righteous judge on Israel. Or on Judah, should say Judah. Because they were divided kingdoms at this point. Like he's the righteous judge. 
And all of a sudden, he sees God. And he don't see himself as righteous anymore. Look at verse 5. Then said I, woe is me. He didn't say, woe is Judah. That's what he's been talking about in the first five chapters. It's Judah. But he says, woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. (coughs) Excuse me. Go to chapter 64. This is a continuing thought throughout the book then. In chapter 64... And verse 6, he says this, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Excuse me. See, there isn't true confession and forsaking of sin until we have a sense of what it really is. You know, and every, every great Bible character has had this kind of experience. You know, God saw Job. And when God saw Job, you know, God argued with his three friends for, for 36 chapters that he was righteous. And God said in chapter 1 that he was a righteous man. He had been made righteous by God. It's the only righteousness you and I have. But when he met God in chapter 42, he said, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9. You know, Daniel is called, three times he's called beloved in the visions that he had. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, he says, And I set my face on the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, And I prayed unto the Lord my God, made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned, have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from the precepts, from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, But unto us confusion of faces as it is this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespasses that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers because we have sinned against thee. Luke chapter 5. After the Lord had told Peter to cast the net on the right side of the boat, and Peter cast out a net and caught a multitude of fishes, Peter came back to shore and fell, the Bible says he fell on his knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing good there. 
Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm the greater sinner of the all. You know, it's, see, we need to come to this understanding like the prodigal did. And this is what he said to his father. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Now, that wasn't how the father looked at it. But that demonstrated that this son had come to realize that he was wicked in heart. He just didn't have a few bad actions or a few bad mistakes. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man who can find? Who can find a man that will be honest with himself before God? You know, Romans chapter 3, Paul bears it very plain, you know, with what I commonly call the, the, the four Roman nuns. There's none righteous. There's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, some of you say, well, I was seeking after God. You know what these people are seeking? They're seeking a way out of their trouble. And if God will get them out of their trouble, they'll, they'll, take, they'll take that too as another escape without real repentance. We find that in the book of Judges. The children of Israel wanted escape from their, their, their uh, bondage over and over and over again. And finally said, God said, hey, you keep doing this. Just go to the gods. Call after them. If you want a scapegoat, if, unless you're going to truly repent and get rid of your idols, go to your idols. Everyone missionary described Isaiah 64, 4. He said, you can compare that like to, like to a guy that, said, you know, that, that says, he's he going to come and clean your house. He's going to clean up everything. He's going to wash your dishes. He's going to wash your clothes. And he's going to scrub the floors. And he's going to do all this nice for you. And, and, he, and he'll serve you and all this. And, 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 oh, but by the way, I've got COVID, I've got the flu, and I've got AIDS. And what are you going to say then? Ah, he's unclean. And the Bible says we are all as an unclean thing. Unclean. You see, when Isaiah got his eyes off of Uzziah and saw God, then he realized, oh, wait a minute. I also am unclean. I also am unfit. I also am unworthy. And it brought him to confess his own sin. Verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
See, before he confessed the sins of his nation, now he confesses his own sin. Now he's convicted of his own sin. Now he's brought face to face with God and realizes how sinful he is. Even though in comparison to the others, he was righteous. See, Isaiah was to be dispatched upon a, nat- a national mission. Now, he was to preach to the nation of Judah, but before he could do that, he must do something about himself. He must come to an honest understanding of himself. And if you and I are going to be fit to take the gospel to the lost and dying world, we have to have an understanding about ourselves. Kind of reminds me of Matthew 7 where Jesus said, you know, you can't take the moat out of your brother's eye unless you take the beam out of your own eye. In other words, you've got to judge yourself before you're ready to judge others. You've got to judge yourself. Isaiah, you have to judge yourself first. Before you can really pronounce my judgment upon the nation, you've got to judge yourself. Somebody said, quote, the way to make the world a better place is to begin with oneself, unquote. You know, Jesus said, except the corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bring forth fruit. He that saveth his life shall lose it. So if you're going to think you're going to save yourself, you think yourself is good. No, you've got you to understand who you really are. You're unclean. You're unworthy. See, it's he that loses life that'll save it, that'll bear fruit. And of course, this resulted, when, when Isaiah saw his own condition, this resulted in his cleansing from sin. Notice verses 6 and 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. See, lips are the expressive agent of the inner man. Matthew 12 tells us that, that our words come out of our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so lips are the expressant agent of our heart. And so when the Lord cleansed, took the, the live coal from off the altar and touched his mouth, he was cleansing him, making him fit, making him fit to be an instrument in the hand of the Lord, in the Lord's service. So, so it cleansed him. You know, again, again, what we see here is he's justified by faith, or he's made righteous. He is not self-righteous. You know, he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous. We don't have anything really to crow about. Because we didn't make ourselves righteous. 
You know, if you're if you're saved, if you're born again, you are righteous in the sight of God, but we have been made righteous. It's not that we were righteous or are righteous. We've been made it. And here God is making Isaiah righteous. And of course, this results in Isaiah's consecration to God. In, in verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You know what's funny? When a person truly gets born again, you know what they usually want to do? Tell other people what they find. You know, I find His grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. And they want to tell others. They're set apart for service. Of course, this involves a surrender of our will, our ambitions, our desires. It's God's acceptance of us and the designation of our lives for the task to which we've, we've surrendered. God is looking for somebody to go and tell. And of course, this put upon Isaiah a commission of service. In verse 9, he says, And who's, he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Now, remember, there's a, in my Bible, there's a reference to Matthew 13, 14. Because Jesus quoted this verse. Paul also quoted it. When dealing with, I think it's in Acts 28, is one case, and I think he did it on several occasions, he would quote this verse, Well, as Isaiah's prophet said, Seeing you shall hear, seeing you shall see and not perceive, hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. For this people's heart is wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing. And this is what he told Isaiah Go and tell those people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with the heart, and convert and be healed. Then it said, I, Lord, how long? How long do I got to do this? <laughs> Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. Until there isn't a nation of Judah. So how long are we supposed to keep preaching the gospel? How long are we supposed to be faithful? Well, to either the Lord comes, or we die, and there isn't a nation, there isn't a people to witness to. See, we have a commission. Where to go and tell. Whether they hear or whether they forbear. Somebody said when a battleship is launched, it is commissioned with elaborate ceremony. But when in times of war, it's simply... Sent.
no elaborate ceremonies. Just get it to the place of service. See, our responsibility is just to go and serve God in our place. He's still on his throne. He's still high and lifted up. He's still the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And he always will be. He's our hope. He's the one we can depend upon. You look around the world, there's a lot to discourage you. A lot to cause you to be despondent. But we have a glorious hope. We have a blessed hope. There's coming a glorious appearing. And we have a message of hope. And despite what's going on in our nation, even like Isaiah's nation, despite what's going on in our nation, we have hope. And so we must not lose hope, but keep our focus on the one who is hope. And be faithful until he calls us home.